0: Welcome to Wild duck Living. We're going to skip the music today. We've got a full program. Let me just let you know that this is Johanna Wild Duck and I bring you Wild Dog Living every other Thursday from 9 until 10 a.m. It's all about living sustainably and building community in Mendocino County and beyond. And today I am so honored to welcome three uh, wonderful guests who are going to be talking about a fascinating topic we are going to be talking let me just make sure that we can all hear each other we're going to be talking about beavers and about people who believe in beavers in, uh, in as, as, as a solution to many different environmental challenges as we're going to hear about in a moment i'd like to welcome Sarah Koenigsberg who is uh, a filmmaker And uh, she is the... um Director of tensegrity productions in Walla Walla Washington where she's joining us from via zoom she is a filmmaker photographer and educator whose work focuses on stories of art environment and community in the American west her films and teachings cross disciplines illuminating the power of storytelling as a medium through which to explore complex science and policy issues and she's going she's here to talk to us about a film that she made uh called beaver believers and um um well i'll tell you more about the film and we'll we'll tell you more about the film in a in a a moment i've watched it last night and i'm just still blown away (laughs) so um thank you yeah Uh, and we're also joined by uh maricela i'm i'm sorry i'm skipping on your last name now maricela De Santa Ana. De Santa Ana, of course. <laughs> Why didn't I remember okay. that? <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm, I've, I've only emailed you several, your name several times. And Christopher Barto. And um, l- let me let me invite the two of you to introduce each other so I don't make, don't make any mistakes there. Um, uh, Maricela, do you want to start?
1: Well... Hi, I am the. Um, my name is Maricela de Santa Ana, and I work for the Mendocino County Resource Conservation District on the Willits Bypass Project. And I am the project interpreter and wildlife biologist, and I've been here for five years doing this. Um, and let's see, I am an educator, I'm a retired educator and a naturalist. I have, I'm the president of um, Peregrine Audubon and have participated in many, many uh, nature walks over the 42 years that I've lived in Mendocino County. I I do have a background in biology and botany and um, a great interest in birds in particular, but all wildlife.
0: Great, and Christopher? (laughs)
2: Yeah, hi, thank you so much for having us. Um, My name is Christopher Bartow. I'm a project manager for the Mendocino County Resource Conservation District. Um, And I am dedicated to the Willits Bypass Mitigation Project. Um, I'm going into eight years in the position here in the Valley. And um, I've got a background in agriculture and business. And so I'm a 22 year resident of Mendocino County.
0: And Chris and, and Marisela are here to share with us information about what's happening as far as uh, beaver, the beaver's role in, in restoration and what's happening in Little Lake Valley. So please stay tuned for that. We're going we're to start out by setting the background a bit and, and introducing the topic. And I'm going to invite uh, Sarah Koenigsberg who, to, to talk to us about what inspired you to connect with beavers and to make a whole mm-hmm. film about it. Sure. Thank you so much for having me. Um, Yeah, it's kind of a funny story. I
3: even grew up most of my childhood in Oregon, which is the Beaver State, yet I knew nothing about them. Um, But my undergraduate work was in environmental science and policy. And then I turned to filmmaking as a way to try to present these issues in a non-threatening but kind of curious way that could help landowners and residents and land managers really come together together through commonality as opposed to just sort of arguing arguing over all of the ways that we want to do what we want to do and have different opinions. Um, and so I was looking for a story Uh, to approach climate change in a more tangible way. Uh, You know, we'd had chasing ice and we'd had an inconvenient truth, and those were alarming and scary and made the problem seem just massive. You know, what can I do to curb global carbon emissions? I have no idea. That's kind of disempowering in a way. Um, So what was a way to tell that story in a way that every resident could connect to it at the watershed level, you know, right there at home, and almost find it to be a a positive story, you know, something that could provide opportunity where we don't feel like it's already too late, but there's actually really good work we could do. Um, And I I stumbled upon the frame of climate adaptation. Uh, Climate mitigation is actually reducing the amount of carbon emissions, but climate adaptation is recognizing like, well, here we are let's make things less bad or let's make things more better or let's let's figure out how we can adapt and become more resilient and more able to sort of absorb these impacts and through that framework uh, i would stumbled upon a half dozen folks across the west who suddenly were all working on beavers and it just struck me as the most random thing But then the more I started learning about what they were working on from all these different lenses, there was a botanist, there was a hydrologist, there was a biologist, there was a geologist, all these frames of science were all coming around together to focus on the recognition that beaver were the dominant landscape and watershed engineer for millennia until European trappers and European settlers essentially wiped them out. And so by the time... Uh, those european colonizers were working their way west the beaver were already gone so we never had that sort of cultural knowledge of what rivers and creeks and streams are supposed to look like they were already impoverished landscapes so it's never occurred to most folks uh that something's missing and so when we start to realize what's missing then we have the opportunity to put it back and so that's what all these folks were realizing and that's really what the film tells the story of is what happens when we either let the beaver come back on their own Or we do some restoration work ourselves, low-tech process-based restoration, to sort of help kickstart making it a little bit more inhabitable for them. And then they come back on their own. Or in some circumstances, maybe we even remove beavers from an urban location and put them back into the the wilds, up into the headwaters where they ought be. Any number of these combinations of ways, what happens when we re-beaver The Watersheds of the West. And it's just a a lovely story. I don't think it's possible to watch the film or watch a beaver without getting a little smile on your face. Oh, my goodness. That was was my foray into beavers. And, uh, I mean, this journey started for me a decade ago, and beavers have fully taken over my life. Now we have a nonprofit called the Beaver Coalition which is all about helping people be empowered to either work with troubling beavers or encourage helpful beavers or learn about restoration and learn about beaver biology and make positive changes uh, but I couldn't be more happier to now be fully
0: a beaver believer through and through so happy to share that story with everyone The Beaver Coalition is is a website that people can go to the is it uh, it's BeaverCoalition.org. BeaverCoalition.org, okay, and also BeaverBelievers ah. is it .dot com? So it's it's this is a little confusing. It's the
3: mm-hmm. if you want to get to the film. Right. And there's no the. It's just BeaverCoalition.org if you'd like to get to the nonprofit.
0: I watched the film last night, and I decided that every community in the United States needs to see this movie. <laughs>
3: Well, I would love to help facilitate and make that happen. I do virtual screenings. I mail DVDs to folks, classrooms, school kids, college kids, community groups. I've done a ton of screenings for nonprofits, Audubon chapters. Absolutely
0: happy to get it out there and in front of people. Classroom is probably maybe even more important than community. Uh, because ki- kids kids uh, of the future are the ones that are going to be doing a lot of this work I think hopefully
3: indeed I mean and there's a lot there's a lot of anxiety around climate change you know it's warranted mm-hmm. I just saw a study came out where actually it's being recommended from the government that all adults start getting an anxiety screening when they have their medical checkups and it's like well of course we're anxious we're burning up the world so we need these positive stories even more I think to realize You know, another future is possible. We can still do so much good in every little creek, river, stream, watershed, riverscape. You know, there's still so much we can do.
0: And this is one of the things that blew me away about watching the movie. And this is why I wish, dear listeners, you could be be watching now instead of listening. Because what you show, one of the things that you show in this film, uh, Beaver Believers, is... The transformation that occurs—you you see side by side images of a watershed that before the beaver came in was dry, eroded, hardly any vegetation, hard hardpan soil, eroded riverbeds with no vegetation al- growing along the sides—and then on the other side—and so- uh, then you see the beavers came in and they started um, spreading, slowing, and sinking it. We have a, we have an organization here called the Occidental Arts and Ecology Center, and they Their theme is spread it, slow it, sink it. And that's exactly what beavers do. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, cheers to Kate and Brock and everyone with the Water Center there at Austin Alert Technology Center. They are
3: fantastic advocates for beavers and have done some incredibly inspiring work. And yeah, that that scene uh, that you referenced from the film, um, that property, that's actually in Nevada. And I am just so tickled to say that uh, I was able to introduce that rancher, A.G. Smith, to a New York Times reporter and his story and that landscape was just literally on the front page of the new york times a week or so ago so this story of recognizing that we can partner you know not just with environmental organizations but also with ranchers with farmers with small family timber i mean. Across the board, anyone with land is going to recognize the value of more water on the land or a more metered hydrograph, you know, lowering the peaks of floods, but then increasing water in times of drought. And beavers really do it all. It's
0: it's pretty incredible. Talk a bit about uh, how, how that... Uh, I mean, first of all, the whole idea, you mentioned it a little bit, the whole idea of us thinking that the air, that the West is destined to be arid. It's the arid West, right? Everybody uses this phrase, the arid West, but it wasn't arid to begin with until we removed the beavers. And that's it's the part true, that blew me true. away. <laughs>
3: yeah. So, I mean, things get really funny when you start looking through a geologic time scale. So, I mean, if we go far enough back, we were all under ice for a bunch of this. Um, but if we think about when it was really inhabited and thriving, you know, with native populations and, you know, just incredibly robust, diverse landscapes. Um, as, as I said at the beginning, beaver were on the landscape to the tune of. 400 to 500 million across North America. They were in every single creek and stream and and river bottom. And what that means, let's take human value out of it, good, bad, or otherwise, that is what was. So that means that every other plant species, every other critter out there, they evolved and adapted into this coexistence with that being the norm. A lot of wetlands, water right up at the surface, and not like a fire hose creek, just whoosh, you know, shooting the water straight downstream, but slowly curving and meandering and trickling, and it was complicated, and there were side channels and rivulets and and mushy, squishy spots, you know, the water sunk into the ground and the soil was like a sponge, you know, kind of a good slurp, slurp, slurp. What that means is then when you would have a big storm, that water wouldn't go charging downstream to the ocean and gone. Like you said, slow it, sink it spread it. It would really do that. So then late summer, you have the ground, the whole mountaintop is just full of water, which has been cooled to 50 degrees and cleaned and filtered. So suddenly then that water starts to eke out. And that's how we would have cold, clean, crystal clear water all through the summer and even into fall. You look at some of the trappers journals, even the Lewis and Clark journals, areas that we now do consider dusty dry in the arid west. They had to go for miles and miles and miles to find a dry spot to even camp. So when we put it in that frame, it is truly astounding how quickly our human actions of nearly extirpating the beaver have completely dried out these Western landscapes. And, and so it's really impressive how quickly that can start to turn around, as you noted, when when we let the beaver or help the beaver come
0: back and, and really reclaim that role as the head engineer as the head engineer exactly and you have some fascinating footage about beavers acting as engineers just like that it's just amazing how they decide where to fall a tree and, and where to build a dam and how to build a dam I mean it's, it just blows me away how intelligent uh, and, and how, how as a community they act it's not just individual beavers building bands they, they work together as a team they show us how to do this yeah, yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, I do a lot of work right now with fluvial
3: geomorphologists in the in the field of low-tech process-based restoration where humans are sort of trying to emulate the beginnings of working like beavers to just sort of even help start the process. There are some areas where beaver were native and maybe they're still kind of barely eking out a living on the margins, but the water flow is too strong. The stream is too straight. The water is too cut down deep into a, like a trench. Uh, so we can do some things as humans to sort of bump that system back up and around so that then the beavers could take over. But it's fascinating watching these PhD fluvial geomorphologists scratching their heads and being like, why did the beaver put the dam there versus there? And like trying to read the landscape. But really it all comes down to little bottlenecks or little areas where you realize, like, oh, yeah, that dam, there's sort of a a pinch point, and they can expand on that, and then that's how that pond will grow that way, and they need that three feet of water depth to evade predators. They're very clumsy on land. We kind of joke around that they're, like, 50-pound waddling chicken nuggets just waiting to be snapped up by whatever predator might walk by. So they need that water depth of the pond for safety. It allows them to have an underwater entrance to their log i whether it's a freestanding lodge or a bank den, either way. But then really by making a complex of ponds, multiple ponds, and then canals, almost like little water slides, they're making little highways so they can just whoosh on their bellies and scooch, scooch, scooch. It's all about expanding their little kingdom, this little wet kingdom of safety so they can be foraging willows, aspen, cottonwoods, collecting building materials, caching food for winter, and it's like they use the bottom of the pond like a little refrigerator and they stick branches. Branches down there to stay for wintertime when they need more food um, they're really just building this little world and yes it's for themselves but in that act of taking care of themselves they're really making everything better and more lush and bountiful for all the other critters as well it's really a wonderful way to think of how to how to make a living where you help everyone you don't just help yourself
0: they're a wonderful role model for humans i think <laughs> there's a lot we could learn from people yeah yeah. Well, I'd like to I'd like to invite uh, uh, Chris Barto and Marisela De Santa Ana to join us now and talk about what's going on as far as beavers are concerned uh, in Mendocino County who wants to start
2: I'm going to let Chris start. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, thanks Sarah. That was really interesting. No, it was for sure. Yeah, so
0: great. Mm-hmm. And we could spend hours more talking. I mean, there's so many, uh, so, <laughs> many so, yeah. so many aspects to this, yeah. <laughs>
2: Um, So, Marcella and I, um, we uh, help manage uh, the Willits Bypass mitigation lands. It's approximately 2,000 acres in the Little Lake Valley. Um, The mitigation lands were established um, when the elevated viaduct and roadway was constructed around the town of Willits. Um, And we have a significant mitigation and monitoring plan associated with with the project. But but most of that plan is around uh, creating, rehabilitating, enhancing, and preserving wetlands, um, as well as, you know, native systems within the valley. Um, You know, much as Sarah mentioned in her her wonderful talk there, that Willits Valley is no different than many other valleys um, across the United States. Um, You know, the, what our valley looks like is is a result of over 100 years of Anglo-European development for agriculture. Right? We we came in much as the rest of the country did, um, and worked to drain the valley so we could do things like row crops and graze livestock and and uh, have hay fields and whatnot. Um, and and part of that was clearing the the stream channels, opening them up, or to um, facilitate drainage. Back up of the century little lake valley was just that it was a lake on the north end of the valley on outlet creek there was a a large rock shelf that was removed to facilitate that drainage Um, and then and then subsequently channelization which actually a lot of that channelization you know we, we we always blame it on agriculture but that was the the that was the prevailing wisdom at the time the soil conservation service the army corps of engineers all of these federal and state agencies um, assisted in that type of drainage, right? This was not just private landowners working to reshape the landscape. This was a general movement nationally to try and facilitate agriculture and build the agricultural industry. So, um, but the mitigation project is looking to restore some of the function that we've lost over the years. Um, And it's been really exciting in the last four or five years. We've had a reintroduction and... um, And really an incredible success story with beavers, primarily in Outlet Creek. So we have multiple stream channels that run across the mitigation lands. Um, Outlet Creek is the main stream channel that runs into the Eel River watershed. Um, And it is a migratory channel for steelhead, for chinook, and coho salmon. Um, and, and anybody from Mendocino County knows that with our unpredictable and unstable weather patterns, um, particularly if you look at last winter, uh, the, the drought and long, long duration without rain. Um, I recorded our last rainfall last year on January 7th, and we didn't see more rain on March 15th, which is very uncommon for this area. And, and one of the consequences of that is, you know, our waterheads suffer for that. Um, outlet when we started on the project, was.
0: Chris, uh, Christian, we might want to turn the video off because your audio is sounding a bit choppy. Oh,
2: okay. mm-hmm. yeah. I'm sorry. Okay, How's no that? problem.
0: That's great. Okay.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, so, Outlet Creek, at the beginning of the project, when we first came on, um, it's essentially a dry channel in the summer months. We could walk it from end to end. We had very little, if any, perennial water in that watershed, in that stream channel. Um, and really, the last four or five years, since the introduction of beavers and the work beavers have done, um, we now have uh, perennial water in those watersheds. Um, just after the last three inches of rain, Outlay Creek started running again in the Willits Valley. Um, And and it's been incredibly exciting to watch them work. Um, We do a lot of uh, monitoring. We use game cameras um, to try and get footage of beavers day and night. Um, And uh, we post a lot of that. Anybody can come visit our website, which is www.mcrcd.org. And we have a link to a YouTube channel there. And we have lots of beaver videos. Um, but the more exciting thing is just the, the, the reintroduction of beavers is starting to expand that floodplain, right? It's starting to create more perennial water. It's starting to create areas that potentially, hopefully in the future, will uh, be able to oversummer fry, you know, uh, coho and chinook salmon, steelhead, um, and that coupled with a lot of the restoration work that's been done on the project to reintroduce riparian vegetation to shade these stream channels um, working in concert with the beavers um, you know we're 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 kind of getting a front row seat on on returning to something that we've lost and, and we're all very excited about it on the project um, modest is a lot of the the wildlife effects and maybe it would be be wonderful to have her talk a little bit about what some of her observations have been been as well.
0: Okay, uh, can I ask uh, when either one of you is speaking the other one needs to go on mute so we don't have any crosstalk because I'm I'm hearing a little bit of that. So, Marcella, do you want to share with us Let
1: me uh, unmute myself. Yes. Um, Yeah, it has been a very exciting project to be a part of and watching these beavers and their effects on this landscape. Um, I think for me, one of the things that really stands out Um, is how the diversity of wildlife that uses those areas that are now wet through the driest of times. I mean, last year was such a dry summer. It was really just incredible to see that the only place that there was any water was where the beavers were working. And those areas were full of not only many species of wetland birds like um, great egrets and uh, herons, different herons, American bittern, which is not a usual bird out here, um, willow flycatchers, which are um, an, an endangered species, um, but also the crustaceans, the the mammals that use those areas. I mean, the humans who needed those areas just to you know to get a relief from the dryness. Um, it it feels like they are amazing engineers of that, and you know, listening to Sarah's talk, which was just great and realizing how they are so careful in where they are doing building those dams so that they will have success through these dry summers Um, also things like the way that they cut trees and the trees that they cut generally regenerate so well you know with the cottonwoods that we have here and we have to we have to watch the shade on the creek because we are we are. We do have salmonids that come through, and we want to keep the shade on the water. And seeing that one, we can we can um, cage the trees that we don't want them to cut down. But the ones that they have are sprouting and are healthy and beautiful. And so they manage that too because they want to keep their food um, in check. They want to make sure that they're going to have food in the future. Um, so it has been a really a um, learning curve for me about beavers and it is really hard not to fall in love with them because they are just such great um, additions they, they are keystone species to a wetland and we are really glad that they are here and that they you know they came here on their own we didn't bring them here
0: that actually um, was my next question did they come here on their own or did you did you introduce them
1: Yes. No, they were not introduced here. And there is no historical written uh, um, history of them being here, but we know they had to be here and they were here all over California, Uh, but they have been in the Eel River and Outlet Creek goes to the Eel River. So they had that option to come into this area Um, with the mitigation lands being protected. Um, some, you know, somewhat protected. We do have private lands around. I think that they are finding a place where they can be and not be disturbed. So that has been my experience with them. And the more I read about them, the more I learn about them. I'm just totally fascinated. They are really super creatures. Um, you know, for people for you know, to watch that movie that Sarah produced, it's a great movie. But there's also other movies like a National Geographic um Uh, Leave it to beavers that has a lot of information in it also. And, um, yeah, they're just fascinating creatures. Um, Sarah, you raised your hand. Uh,
3: I just thought I'd offer one one thing off of what Maricela's point was about, you know, the beaver coming in on their own is – unlike other rodents beaver are highly territorial with each other so they really have their territory and mark it out they make scent mounds around the edges to let other beavers know don't you dare come in here so that's one of the really fantastic things to realize when we're talking about letting them kind of re-beaver the west is that if they start to come back then the dispersing juveniles will go out and forge their own future. And so when there are then, you know, this new area from the area they protected or they're going upstream or they're expanding, you know, every year the two-year-olds get kicked out of the family house and off they go. Um, So you don't have to worry about beaver overtaking an area or overpopulating it. They really do self-regulate and as they nibble their food sources down, they really will then sort of back off and go another place and so they sort of almost are like metering their own garden if you will um, so that they never take too much Um, so I think that's just another really cool point uh, to let folks know because it can be a shocking change to see beavers suddenly come back into an area because the change can happen very fast you know we may have been used to a very simple curvy little creek and suddenly trees are coming down, and a pond is filling in, and it's like, whoa, what's going on? <laughs> but just knowing, like, oh, as long as I know it's okay, it's just different. I can take a step back and, and just
0: sort of let it play out. Maricela, you raised your hand. Go ahead. and Yes, thank you. Yeah, I just wanted to
1: also say one of the things that we learned from Brock and Kate, uh, when they came to visit the mitigation land is that they don't just eat trees, you know, they also eat cattail roots and grassroots. And I have, we have film of them eating grass, just going out and grazing in the field. So, you know, they, they have a varied diet. It's not just all about trees, though it is their major source of, of food. They, they can survive on a lot of things. So I thought that was really interesting.
0: Sarah, you've you've worked with a lot of different projects that that uh, where beavers have been introduced or where beavers came in on their own and then were, you know, were given an environment where they were able to stay. Um, what are some of the challenges that 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 um, you've you've seen that that you know, that landowners and ranches and things have dealt with, and what would you tell, you know, a person who runs a ranch uh, to encourage them to maybe uh, make an area that's suitable for beavers to come in or maybe even introduce beavers?
3: Sure. I think first and foremost the the area where conflict can arise is that we like to live in the same place the beavers like to live. We like to live right on the valley bottom, right by the creek. But so do they. So when we have sort of built our human infrastructure right up on the creek, I mean, right on the floodplain. But if you think about it, why is it called a floodplain? It's meant to flood. Um, So right off the bat there, there's some potential for conflict. And so I think it's really important not to minimize that because, I mean, a flooded basement or a blocked culvert, that is a very real and very valid problem. And beavers can be a pain in the neck. They are as busy and industrious as they are made out to be. If you unplug or rip out part of a dam, it'll be back the next morning. So I think the thing to know is to have a little bit of grace and have a little bit of compassion and really validate those those concerns. But then also recognize we're pretty smart and industrious, too. And there are a whole suite of coexistence solutions that we can employ. So with trees, like you've mentioned, you can cage them off. There's also a way to introduce sand and mix it into latex paint. You can even get the paint to be the exact same color as the tree bark. And it's basically like you're painting a liquid sandpaper around the edge of the bark, and they don't like the feeling of that on their mouths. There's ways that we can outwit them with what's called a pond leveler. Kind of think of the emergency drain in your bathtub. You're running a pipe Over the dam, you can set whatever maximum height you want. So maybe it's okay if you have a three- or four-foot dam, but you'd start to get a little nervous or something would flood if you had an eight- or nine-foot dam. So you set that pipe over the dam at the maximum height you want it to be, but then you run that pipe all the way up 40 feet into the pond, and you build a cage around that top end and sink it in the pond so that it's really pulling the water from there. But the beavers are looking for the leak at the dam. They're not looking for the leak way up in the middle of the pond. (laughs) (laughs) So it's called a pond leveler, but it's a way to outsmart them. You can make a contraption that will protect a culvert. Because think about it from a beaver's perspective. We talked about you're looking for a spot where a stream or a pond has a little bottleneck. Well, when we have a culvert, it's like we've basically made a perfect dam, a big earthen dam that has a road going over the top, with just one little hole. And all they have to do is plug that culvert hole, and my golly, they'll have the best pond ever. So there's a way to cage that off and, again, run a pipe through. You know, so there's solutions. We have a lot of those on our website. There's also a great group on the East Coast uh, called Beaver Solutions, LLC. Uh, they do a lot of great work. You can find folks who know how to put these devices in. If you're handy and really know how to use the right materials, you can try to do it yourself. But we always recommend consulting an expert because, you know, chicken wire and one by ones aren't going to cut it. These are 50 to 70 pound rodents that, you know, you need to use the right materials. Um, but, but just sort of being open to change, I think is one of the keys being willing to take a step back, kind of recognizing that what we're doing right now is, is not working where we have sort of encroached on every little creek and stream. Uh, we we need to start being more contemplative about backing off and, and giving creeks and waterways more space. I mean, regardless of beavers, we're seeing flashier systems, more increased floods, all sorts of climate impacts, like it or not. Um, you know, upsizing culverts. Well, hey, what if we just took the culvert out and went back to a natural bottom arched bridge? You know, that has a cost, but if you can eliminate the problem altogether, wouldn't that be better? Or maybe we don't build new construction right up on the floodplain. You know, maybe new construction, we start backing it off and we can retire some things. Um, so it's really just about finding, finding a balance, finding what we're comfortable you know I don't want to think of it as a sacrifice but more of a a meeting in the middle to have a win-win.
0: Right. Um, I would like to take a moment to let you know, dear listeners, that you are listening to Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, KZUIXNZ. This is Johanna Oak, and you are tuned into Wild Oak Living, the program about living sustainably and building community in Mendocino County that airs every other Thursday from 9 until 10 a.m. Today I am honored to have as guests Sarah Koenigsberg, who is the, uh, uh, a filmmaker, and um, she is also involved with an organization uh- called The Beaver Coalition and she made a film called Beaver Believers which is an amazing film that I would encourage everyone to watch um, Sarah, in a moment I'm going to ask you to to give the contact information and where people can go to find out for more information but I'd also uh, like to let you know that we are listening to Maricela de Santa Ana and Chris Barto, who are with the Mendocino County Resource Conservation District here in Mendocino County and uh, are involved with the the uh, Little Lake uh, Restoration Project um, that is taking place as a result of the the Willits Bypass construction. We just have a few minutes left, so I would like to invite uh, each of you to in, to leave us with a with a few parting words and any contact information or events or anything that you have coming up. Uh, l- let's start with with you, uh, Chris. Um, sh- leave, leave us with uh, anything that you want to share that you haven't had a chance to share yet.
2: Yeah, sure. Thank you, and, and again, we we really appreciate the opportunity to to be part of this. Um, thank you so much. Um, I just think you know we we have an opportunity here. What's what's exciting about the mitigation project is you know we we're working to restore some of these native systems, but the landscape has has definitely been changed. There are some things that we we won't get back. Um, and but one of the things that we're continuing out here is we do have a working landscape. So we, we are still using agriculture, livestock grazing as a management tool on mitigation lands. And so we have this opportunity to try and understand a way for these things to coexist um, where where we can restore our riparian habitats, um, where we can encourage and embrace things like beavers and other wildlife Um I know we're talking about beavers, but we've had other, we have to look at the systems in a holistic way, right? Um, And so we've also had the return of tule elk into the valley. We're seeing more and more bears in the valley, black bears in the summertime. Um, Obviously, we get this enormous influx of migratory waterfowl and raptors every year. Um, And I think what's exciting for us, is that we can firsthand we're getting a front row seat in in the amazing transformation and contribution that beavers play um in that holistic view of, of a watershed you know we're, we're just one small blip on the map here but we have an amazing amazing um, diversity of wildlife and native species here in the willits valley um and, and we have this incredibly important species, coho salmon. We are at kind of the southern reaches of viable coho habitat. Um, and to do engineering projects, um, you know, to bio, bioengineering to get into the stream channels can be very expensive um, between the permitting process and actually doing the work, reinstalling large wood, trying to do this. Um, with our own engineering processes, beavers do this 24 hours a day. They don't need a 1600 permit from CDFW, um, and they do a great job. They do a better job than we could. Um, and so it's, it's wonderful. Um, if, if you have a, a uncertainty about the value or, or, or what you feel, the importance of these beavers on a landscape are, I would encourage people to visit our website, uh, www.mcrcd.org. I would also encourage them, Maude and I can let her talk about this a bit. We run monthly outreach and education tours on mitigation lands. And some of those tours focus on looking at beaver habitat, looking at some of the work that we've done to coexist with beavers like tree caging, um, and uh, and 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 get out there and really see it for yourself, um, and, and see what good they're doing and and the positive impacts they're having. With everybody having so much worry over water, I think we need to embrace any aspect that's going to improve those watersheds and improve those systems. And and they've been been wonderful wonderful allies in that, and um, and we're so fortunate that they're here. So.
0: If your spring is running low or dry, or if your creeks are drying out in the summer, or if your wells are going dry, beavers to the rescue. Uh-huh. Yeah. Marcella, I would like to invite you to leave us with whatever closing remarks you'd like to leave us with.
1: Oh, well, thank you so much again for having us. I. I feel like I just want to say ditto to what Chris said, um, but I was I was going to mention about the public walks and um, we have brought students out, children out, and I think there is such enthusiasm for, for beavers and the concept of beavers. I, I think that it is a way to um, educate and have people understand how important they are and how, um, yeah, their effects on the landscape. So yes, just thank you so much and yeah, come, come on one of the public walks. What, what should people do if they want to come on the walk? They can go on the website, our website, the mcrcd.org website, www.mcrcd.org. And they're on there. They're, they are a monthly walks. So the one that's happening on this weekend is full. We have a limit of 20 people just because, you know, it's just hard to coordinate more than that. But um, the next one is going to be October 22nd. So, um, And you can sign up through the through the website.
0: Thank you so much, Christopher Bartow and Maricela de Santa Ana from the Mendocino County Resource Conservation District for all the wonderful work you do. Thank you also to Linda McElwee who put me in touch with you both and uh, uh, so that you can be here today to talk about the work. And again, the website is mcrcd.org. And just in case you are not on the web, the phone number is 462- Three six six four is that correct? Four six two three six six four is the phone number uh-huh. in the seven zero seven area code. Thank you both so much for being on this morning on Wilder Living, and Sarah Koenigsberg, uh filmmaker of Beaver Believers, and with the Beaver Coalition. What would you like to leave us with today? Well, thank you so much for having me on, and Marisela and Chris. It's wonderful to meet you. Um,
3: I think I think what I'd want to offer folks as a closing message is. Um, Open yourself up to wonder again. Like we can all take a pause and, and slow down. And we don't need to go to a grand national park to see pristine wildlife. You know, that's lovely, but how often do we get to do that each year? But you can always go find a little creek somewhere and just sit down and, and just listen and watch. And it's, it just always amazes me how much wild there is, even in highly, influenced areas you know like i have a little creek and it's above a huge concrete army corps dam project but i can go up and i can find a little stretch that's pretty darn wild and i've seen river otter i've seen beaver i've seen mink deer eagles hawks all sorts of critters and it just it just adds some beautiful richness to your day to realize there are all these other critters out there eking out a living alongside us and and even if it's not perfect even if it's not going to go back to the wild that it was it can still have so much value and richness and be doing so much good for their habitat for our water needs um and i think that's really just what what the beaver can show us is just what a what a joyful existence it is when we do have that wonder and awe at what the natural world gives us every single day um and and it's it's fun to see that there's more beaver and other critters right there than than we may be realized um and if you are interested in the film uh you can go to www.thebeaverbelievers.com uh you can access it there in a streaming manner uh If you want to reach out to me about a community group or a school group screening, absolutely use the contact form there. I'd be happy to get you set up. Um, if you're interested in more about what we're doing in the nonprofit with our mission to empower people to partner with beavers, some of which is mitigating conflict and some of which is healing the riverscapes to allow the beaver to come back on their own, uh, that's www.beavercoalition.org. And I feel like I give a little plug. Our good friends at the Occidental Arts and Ecology Center there with the Water Institute, they're actually hiring a communications manager for their Bring Back the Beaver campaign. So if this has inspired you and you already have knowledge of being a communications and project manager, they are lovely humans and they work with all kinds of great projects. That would be a fantastic job to apply for. And so their website is oaec.org um and yeah
0: just just thank you so much for having me on this has been lovely thank you so much sarah koenigsberg and chris bartow and maricela de Santa Ano. thank you for all the work that you do and and uh everything that you add to our to to life on our planet um and all the work that you do for beavers and uh and for our communities thank you so much for being on wild oak living today and all the best for your work thank you so much thank you
1: thank you thank you so much yes
0: And now we're going to switch gears. I'll just let you know that you are listening to Wild Oak Living. Um, This is Johanna Wild Oak. We've been talking about beavers for the first 45 minutes and it's been a fascinating conversation and rest assured this will not be the last time we're going to be talking about beavers there's so much more to share uh, and we've only really scratched the surface but if you want to get a good overview and and some encouraging information about how we can not only coexist with beavers but how we can elicit the be- the help of beavers to get our springs and wells running again to to prevent stream erosion to get the salmon's to stay where they want where they want to be or where they once were, uh, and also to mitigate fire danger. One of the fascinating um, moments in the film that I watched last night, Beaver Believers, is um, where they had this devastating wildfire. I believe it was in the state of Washington. And this wildlife biologist walks out uh, afterwards and walks through the woods and walks through, you know, burnt landscape after burnt landscape until he gets to where the beavers live. And that area did not burn. And the beavers were still there. And that to me was the aha moment in, in this experience. You know, they know how to do this. They know how to protect us from wildfires if we just allow them to do their job, to be here and to allow them to do their job. All right, let's switch gears now. I would like to welcome to Wild Duck Living Claudia Wenning, who is going, who is here to talk to us about a, uh, Food sharing event in Willets this weekend, and also about an organization called or a group of women called the Elder, Blods, Bra- Elder Broads. <laughs> Thank you for joining us, Claudia Wenning. Welcome to Wilder Living.
4: Hi, Johanna. Thank you for having me. So, all right. Um, the Elder Broads, we are a group of obviously older women. And we came together more than a year ago because we felt it's time to step up and do something for the community. And uh, one of our members came up with the motto, which is weaving and mending community. So this is the big C word. We are all about supporting community because as we all know, it's been rather difficult in the last couple of years yes yeah. what we have offered starting with an event last year and throughout all the summer is community oriented either free or very affordable events that are happening outdoors and we had a beautiful uh, run if you will of various garden tours this summer and for a Sunday, we're planning a harvest sharing event. Now, this is kind of an experiment, but the idea, of course, is not new at all. It's really time tested. Um, that we invite people, everyone is welcome to come and share what they have abundance of in terms of homegrown food, and everyone who could use some help by getting free local produce. So we're going to meet at the Little Lake Range in Willits this coming Sunday. And um, we're going to put a few tables outside and everybody can bring what they have to share and everybody can take what makes sense to them in reasonable amounts. So it's from 9.30 till 12. And we're hoping to see, you know, the standard um, overflow of of home production of produce. It could be zucchinis, tom, tom, tomatoes, it could be herbs, it could be all kinds of fruits, which are ripe at this time. Uh, it could be seeds, it could be gardening, and pantry-related items. That is what we like to offer, and we'll just have to see how the response is. This is, um, as far as I know, the only event of that sort in the county this weekend, so everybody's invited to come to Willits. And what is really important to notice also, the Little Lake Grange has a breakfast every month, and this Sunday they do have a breakfast which is very reasonable and all organic and open to everyone. So it could be a two-for-one that people come, have breakfast at the Grange, and then come outside where we have the tables
0: and look at what is available. And uh, people who—oops—I'm going to take myself. Off. So come to Willis on Sunday. And um, and uh, people who would who would like to contribute and who would like to share uh, a pr- produce uh, or other uh, garden yes. garden items or maybe even orchard items and fruit and yes. things like that. Uh, yes. Would they just simply come, or do they have to let you know in advance, or how does that work?
4: They don't. They just come now. If
0: for some reason, it's difficult for you to
4: come on Sunday. Um, I can give out a phone number to contact us. There, there's a possibility that it could be dropped off late Saturday night if need be. Um, and you don't even have to stay there with your products. You can also come Sunday and just drop it off and go on with your day. And whatever is not distributed by noon we'll sort it all out and we have three local food distribution services where which everything that is uh, extra will go to so i would say it's it's not time consuming you can come and drop it off or if you have uh something that you would like to leave with us earlier then you can call the number which is on the poster everywhere it is in the willits paper i'm going to give up the phone number in a minute and it's also on facebook as an event and we actually have a presence on that social media outlet facebook as a facebook page it's called community immunity and wellness and you can there see what we have done so far and you certainly will be uh, able to find out what we're going to do in the future because this is something we are committed to We want to continue, and we have some ideas for next year, what we want to do just to make um, points of connection available for the community at large that are not complicated, and most of them are still happening outdoors, and we'll, we'll continue with focus on outdoors events as long as possible.
0: Claudia, can you repeat that the Facebook page again that you have for people yes, who would yes. like to find out more information?
4: Yes, it's Community
0: in Unity and Wellness. Community in Unity and Wellness. No, no, Community Immunity and Wellness. Oh, Community Immunity as an immune yes. system. Community yes. Immunity. Yes. in Wellness. Okay. And wellness. and wellness. Okay, I finally got it right. Okay. <laughs> Community, Immunity and Wellness is the Facebook page. And something a lot of people don't seem to know is that um, you don't have to be a member of Facebook to visit a Facebook page for information. Okay, so... So that's, that's, I just want to add that because a lot of people here don't like Facebook and say that they're not going to go to Facebook, but you don't have to sign up for Facebook to visit a Facebook page and get information there. So just want to share that. Um, so this is happening again this Sunday at the Little Lake Grange in Willits. Can you tell us where that is located and give us the time again for when the breakfast starts and when the, when the, uh, uh, food sharing event starts?
4: Oh, good question. When does the breakfast start? Well, it does start earlier. I'd I'd say 8, but I might be wrong. For sure, 9. So let's say the breakfast starts earlier, and then we open up the back parking lot with the tables at 9.30, and we will be there till 12. And the Little Lake Range is the Willits Range. It's the old original schoolhouse, which is on 291. School Road in Willits, which is, um, it's the block over from Main Street, mm-hmm. and I will also give out the phone number, which is at this moment a phone number to leave a message, but we will call you back. It is my business number, it's 707 371 If you want to hear more about it, or if you wonder how uh, drop-offs could be arranged beforehand, so, you can just leave a message and we'll call you back. It's
0: 707-371-6103. And you're looking, you're looking for fresh produce, fruit, uh, and also, I'm assuming, things that people have made out of their fresh produce, like jam and things like that? or
4: Absolutely. Fermen- fermented? To, yes. Mm-hmm. Anything that you would like to share and pass on, and, um, you know, local is, is as good as it gets. Mm. And, uh, yeah, um, we also will have some herbs. We will have some seeds. Um, it could be if you have come up with this amazing recipe how to make an herbal vinegar and you made too much of it, bring it. You know, um, really, we can be as creative as we want to be. This
0: There is no money involved. This is simply sharing. And to talk a little bit about about the elder broads. If if you're if you're you know if you're somebody inspired by that idea and want to participate, is 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 it open to participation? That is really a good question. I think not at
4: this moment. Mm-hmm. What we rather enjoy is that it's a very very small group of women who, for ease of organization come together. Because if it gets bigger, and we've all been there, when organization come bigger, become bigger, it's really difficult to, to find a place and a time that works for everyone, Mm -hmm. and get everybody to be on on board in the same uh, capacity. So what we would love, though, is just support us, you know, We will be announcing future events. We want to do more garden tours. We want to do more outside community events. Just support us that we all can weave and mend our communities. Because this is why we came together. Because we felt so much disconnect. Do what happened in the last two years. So much of uh, isolation that is plainly not healthy.
0: Thank you so much, Claudia Wenning, for telling us about this food-sharing event coming up at the Little Lake Grange this Sunday morning, starting at 9.30, and also the Little Lake Breakfast, if you want to have, go there and have breakfast earlier. Thank you so much, and all the best for your event and for the future of the Elder Broads. Thank you,
4: Johanna. Thank, Thank you for
0: letting me share this, and all the best to you. Thank you so much. This has been Wild Oak Living. This is Johanna Wild Oak, and um I'm, I will be back two weeks from today at 9 o'clock a.m. I'm going to have two topics two weeks from today. I'm going to be talking with uh, some members of the Community Foundation of Mendocino County about some of the uh, grant possibilities that are coming up, uh, applications for grants for the community to participate in. And I'm also going to be talking to Charlie Seltzer and Susan Era about a, a Living with Chronic Pain workshop that they have coming up starting in in October. So those are the two topics for the for Wild Oak Living two weeks from today on October sixth, I believe it is, at nine A. M.